0: And so if you can't handle that pressure or you can't handle the swings.
1: I've got a legit event I'm hosting with Denver Apartment Network coming up next month. And we'll have over 300 people flying in from all around the world for this event. To learn more and to get your discounted tickets, use the special link in the show notes. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host Adam Adams. I'm excited to have Connor Steinbrook back. Welcome back, Connor. How are you? What's
0: going on, man? I Appreciate it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I've been following you on Facebook and the other, um, you know, YouTube channel, your podcast, and you're putting out some great content. I wanted to bring you back to kind of share what you're doing with the listeners. If they want to go your route, I think that that will be great. Some of the things, listeners, that we're going to be talking about today is, number one, Connor was able to make $27,000 on a deal that no other investor could buy. And he did that through a very creative strategy by creating a note and then selling that note. So I want to go through that deal and share some stuff with you. And we're going to talk a little bit about how to get people out of foreclosure and we need to preface it. And I'll, Connor, I'll let you preface that and, you know, warn the audience on
0: what you're really talking about when you're helping somebody out of foreclosure. Right, so uh, yeah, so Adam wanted me to talk about a few different deals that we've done here that can maybe help y'all, kind of just give you the psychology mindset behind uh, what we did. And we just had a recent deal where, you know, I saved these individuals from going through foreclosure. And so any of y'all that follow me, <clears throat> I'm very big about, you know, this is a business we're in it to make money, but we're also in it to protect the community. And you have to understand if you're a new investor and you don't understand foreclosure laws and you don't understand how to navigate this process, these families are contacting you or contacting you, excuse me, I've been a little sick from a position of need, right? And so they're contacting you in expectation that you're capable of handling this situation. So a lot of new investors, Adam, they get in the business and they're taught that they can go market to the foreclosure list and then they go and they're wholesaling houses. And they may not have built up a buyer's list, or they may have built a weak buyer's list, or they may have been out there talking to lenders that they think are qualified to lend them money quickly, but they can't close. And so let's take a, just a scenario where you know you got someone calls you seven days for, before foreclosure; they're about to lose the house and it's about to go up for auction. And you know you're thinking there's a big room, big room in here to get this profit done. And so you contract that property, and you start marketing it, and one day before the you know, option ends up or the foreclosure sale, you can't find a buyer. What happens? That person goes through foreclosure. They lose, lose all that equity in their house. And they also have a foreclosure on the record. they contacted you thinking you could help them. A lot of people get caught up in that immediate gratification thought process. I'm looking at that profit and they're not thinking about how to protect these individuals. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of reasons why this is important. Guys, a lot of time the seller that's contacting you gets in denial. So what's happening is behind the scenes on their side is they're trying to figure out a way how to save their house and and stop this situation. They're out there contacting friends, relatives, trying to go back to the bank or the lender who they're working with and trying to restructure things, trying to keep the house. And a lot of times they have a decent amount of equity in these properties, especially lately since we've seen such a, a rising market over the past few years. A lot of these houses have equity in them. But then they go out there and they finally put it off to a week or two away and then they realize they have to sell the house. And so then they start calling real estate agents and those agents are like, well, you're going to foreclosure here in a couple weeks. We couldn't even sell the house if we wanted to. So then they start contacting you, your We Buy Houses ads, and they're expecting you to come in and close quickly. And so we need to be able to do what we say we're going to do. And if we can't find a buyer and we can't close it, we need to be able to stop that foreclosure sale. And so guys, nothing we're going to talk about today is legal advice. I'm not an attorney. There's different laws in each state. There's a consultant attorney in those states, but typically one of the ways people will stop a foreclosure is to have that individual file chapter 13 bankruptcy, right? And what that does is a voluntary bankruptcy. They'll file chapter 13. They'll go and get that house pulled out of the bankruptcy. They'll have more time to get the house sold. And then they elect to not go through bankruptcy. This is a pretty common way people do it. But in this particular situation, I had an individual contact me about a week before they were going to foreclosure. So this is very, very common. They put it off to the last minute. Um, we say we buy houses quickly and a lot of people are out there putting on their ads, guys, and don't do this, don't misrepresent what you can do. People are saying, buy your house in one hour, buy your house in one day. And what people are saying is, I'll come out and make you an offer and contract the house that day or within an hour, but they're not closing on the property, which is a completely different thing, and it's misrepresenting what you can do to the marketplace. And these these homeowners are not real estate professionals, so they don't understand. They think that it's as simple as you're paying cash for the house. They contact you that day. You say, okay, I'll pay you 70 grand and you'll walk down, trade 70 grand, sign the title over or sign the deed over the property. And it's just, it's not always that easy. Uh, And you need to be getting title insurance on these properties guys. That's a whole nother podcast. But so what happened was they contacted me and I went over there. I got a very good offer on this property, got it accepted and we got the property to the title company. And what they discovered was um, there was an issue. And so I contacted the attorney representing the seller of the property, not my seller who sold me the house, but the seller who sold it to them. So on this property, a gentleman owned the property. He passed away. His son took that property, wasn't probated, didn't have a will. He owner financed the property to a family um, who got in foreclosure situation. And then they sold the house to me. Well, in hindsight, we find that when that son did that, he didn't have the right to do that because he had a sister who had equal claim to that property. So technically he could have never sold his property in the first place. So this is kind of how that deal played out. So the attorney on the other side was, as they always are representing their, their party that they're representing is kind of like a bulldog, right? They're always standing strong and they're going to try to, you know, intimidate you. And I was like, look, you know, what is the back payment on this property? What is it to reinstate the loan? And he was like, it doesn't matter. We're going to take the property back we're going through foreclosure because in this property, they had about, you know, they were going to get about $60,000 of their equity after closing. And I said, look, how do we fix this? Right? So I'm talking to the attorney representing the individual that sold them the property. Um, they're contacting me if that makes sense. So when I say the seller, I'm not talking about the seller to me. I'm talking about the original seller who owned or financed it to them. That's their attorney. And I was basically explaining to them, look, we can either do this the right way or we can have a fight over it. But It doesn't matter. You're not going to foreclose on this property no matter what. I have multiple ways to stop this. So you can either work with me or not. And he was basically playing hardball. And so after my title company came back and told me what happened, you know, I basically contacted him. I was like, okay, are you sure you want to do this? Because I don't think you realize this individual could never have sold the property to them in the first place. And if you foreclose on this property, there is going to be one massive headache coming your way and coming their way. Quickly after that, he contacted me back and realized I was right. And said, how do we fix this? So what we did was we re- reinstated that loan. Um, we worked an agreement. We worked a reduction of what was owed and the fees. So there's always back fees. There's always back um, uh, attorney fees in this situation. And we reduced, I believe it was like 13000 that was owed. And we actually got it reduced down to a little over 3000 or something something similar to that where they actually let us stop it. So we brought the loan current. They stopped the foreclosure. We got it in writing. Make sure you always get it in writing from that third-party attorney because he's not going to risk his license. So we got it in writing. They stopped it. And this gave us time to go kind of back and figure this out. Now, behind the scenes, they were having to go backtrack and redo all this paperwork. And whatever they do, they're probably scrambling because they realized they were illegally sold this house and they couldn't have ever in the first place. So it's very important to understand, guys, if there's title issues or there are delays in closing, if you're the investor, in an appreciating market, you're making more money. So this delayed a few months. And finally, after a long time, um, we got it figured out, got title cleared up. They went back and changed a lot of the paperwork. And then we were basically able to close on this house. Um, I believe I bought this house for 112,000 and we're going to put about 15,000 in it. And it's worth about two hundred ten, two hundred twenty thousand $220,000. But are we going to make a big profit? Yes. But what happened was because I understood how to navigate the situation, I saved that family that came to me for help close to $60,000, which was every dollar they had to their name and they can go about and start their new life and, and basically not have to worry about having a foreclosure loom over their head, which is very, very important to be able to understand how to do this. Cause if you guys can't do this, you're putting people at risk. Um, also if you can't close on these houses, a lot of times people are contacting you to sell the house that they're at, take the equity out of that house to close on their next house. And a lot of times they're creating a, not a simultaneous or back-to-back closing, but relating those two closings very, very close to each other within a few days where they're hoping you do what you say you're going to do. Say you say you're going to close on the 22nd, they may set that closing for their retail buy on the 24th or 25th, counting for that equity to come to put their down payment. And if you can't close on time, you could cost them losing their house. You could cost them extra carrying costs. You could, so guys, it's very important to understand what you're doing. And if you don't reach out to someone that knows, knows how to do this.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for going over that deal and for sharing with the listeners how important it really is right. when you're in a foreclosure situation. And you're absolutely right. Most of the time somebody's selling their house, they have a house to buy or something that they're already planning to use that money for. Right. I right. have a question. on the. You were talking about how he sold it illegally or he, originally. Mm-hmm. What happened with this sister that was also supposed to be untitled? What how did they right. work that out?
0: Right. So like guys like you, gotta realize if you have a dad, right. And you are a brother and sister and, or your mom and they're, you're the respon- the legal rightful owners of the property once they pass away and that property gets passed down. And one of the two siblings goes and sells a house and is making all the money off of it without the other one, basically having a position in that deal that couldn't have really happened because in order for that house to have gotten sold, to have been sold, both of them, the two siblings, would have had to sell that property, right? And technically, it should have been, been probated or had a will. It just was a sudden death, and he basically, from what I understand, I don't know 100% all what went on behind on their side, but essentially, he he sold the house without getting permission or letting the other party who had a rightful claim to the property, and so technically, he could never have sold the property. It'd been like if you own a property joint, uh, jointly with a partner. And somehow that partner, without even letting you know, went and sold the house and was collecting the money on it without even telling you, right? So yeah. that, that's kind of what happened there. And so they kind of went back and who knows how they did it. That attorney probably scrambled and um, trying to save his position, save their position. And guys, this is very important to understand. If you get in this situation, just pick up the phone, ask them to find the attorney that's representing the foreclosing party. And a lot of times you can work it out with them. You don't have to get into this aggressive, I'm taking this stance, you know, it's going to be a battle. A lot of times they're willing. A lot of times these um, homeowners are the seller of the property. They just want a resolution. They just want their money. They just want to know what to expect. And sometimes it could be even better for them than having to go through the foreclosure. Right. And so it's just good to pick up the phone and contact the attorney and kind of see if you can work it out that way first.
1: Great. So, is that the one that you made 27K on by creating a note or is that, that's another
0: deal, right? No, no, we can talk about some yeah. of these other deals. If you want. Yeah, let's go over that one. Right, right. So a lot of people like this deal that I talk about. Um, I actually put it on my YouTube channel, I believe. And um, what happened was there's was a house in a small area. There's a little town. Um, so one of the things I talk about a lot, Adam, is going to the secondary and tertiary markets, these outside fringe markets, these smaller. So if you look at the way a major city is built, you know, you have the major uh, buildings in the heart of the city, the, the major market forces where all the fluidity of cash is flowing. Basically, you take a big city, you put a dot in it, and you start moving out like a dartboard layers out there. There's more money in the center of the city, and what's happening is there's more experienced investors there as well because you got the REI clubs, educational companies, traveling gurus, flying their teams in because they can get a return on their investment, put people up in a hotel. But as you go out into these secondary markets, these small scattered cities, these towns of 5, 10, 15,000 outside the main area, you see more and more mom and pop shops. You see one, onesie, twosie investors that are building their business through relationships. You don't see as heavy as a competition through people marketing. So you can seem to find a lot better deals. And so there's a small town north of us, which had about 3,000 people in it, which I quickly realized early on that flipping houses in small areas for retail can be risky, partly because of this deal and a couple others. But Um, what happened was this house had had many, many wholesalers go through it. Many, many rehabbers go through it. Many, many landlord investors go through it and none of them could do anything with it. This house had been put under contract. I remember getting, seeing this house being sent around by top wholesaling companies in the area and nobody could sell it. The reason why is because it wasn't in a large market. The investors that were buying actively in DFW didn't want to go out and take a look at it. It was risky to them. It had multiple additions on it. And so it was at a price point that the banks wouldn't finance it. And we thought once we fixed it up a little bit that we could get it financed. And what happened was we couldn't, we we tried to retail it. And so it basically got to a point, I think we bought the house for like 33,000. Um, we put like 17,000 or something in it. All in all, I think we were all in for like 55,000. This has been a few years ago. So guys maybe go watch our video and talk about it. So I'm trying to pull these numbers out lifetime. So what I did was, I knew i couldn 't sell it to a landlord. I tried to wholesale this property through the mls or or to other investors, and basically i couldn 't find anybody to buy it and The highest offer we had was basically losing three to five thousand dollars around there. We were going to take a loss on it to dump it to a landlord
1: so is let me I- let me just interject real fast so one thing that I hope that listeners are getting is Connor is in a little rat maze, and he's going one direction and it doesn't work. And instead of sitting down and saying, Okay, well, I can't go to the, my cheese, he's saying, Okay, let's find another direction. So you can see as we go through this deal that Connor keeps running into issues. Well, I couldn't sell it this way. Well, I couldn't do this. It wasn't working. I couldn't yeah. wholesale it on the MLS. But instead of just stopping and saying, great, I just lost money. He's finding a way. He's always saying, how can I? All right. So keep going.
0: Right. So he brought up, what was that book? Who Moved My Cheese or whatever? <laughs> it's a good book, right? So like, guys, you got to realize to be a successful business owner, you have to be a successful problem solver. And don't just think there's one way to exit the exit the business or exit a deal. And you got to look at these different exit strategies and different ways to look at deals as different golf clubs in your bag or different tools in your tool belt. The more different clubs you have in your bag, like if you went to play golf tomorrow and you only had two clubs in the bag, you're gonna be pretty limited to shoot a low score. But if you create these skill sets and you learn these different exit strategies over time, you're gonna increase your profits as well as you're gonna open up opportunities that aren't there for the, the normal community. So the majority of investors out there start out wholesaling, and then they're getting basic uh, moving into flipping houses and are um, or, or just what we consider a normal landlord. So what I did on this property was I was looking at taking a loss. you got to realize multiple wholesale companies tried to show this. Um, the people that were living there said that between 30 and 40 people, investors had come through the house and nobody's been able to close on it, had been under contract and out under contract back and forth. And they were getting frustrated. And so what, what I did was essentially I sold the house on owner financing. So I basically played the role of a private bank. I had raised money on the front end from a partner. We we're actually 50-50 split on this deal where they put up the money I handled getting the house fixed up. Uh, we did like a, a mid-level rehab, which is also important um, because I wasn't quite sure. And I kind of thought that this would be an exit strategy in the back of my mind when we were doing it, but I thought it would get financing even though it didn't because there's some major issues with the the additions on there. So I think I sold the house for 85,000. Um, I took like 7,000 down, I believe. Uh, maybe it's 10,000 down actually. And before this, I guys, I seasoned the property for six months. It took us a few months to get there. And some of these note buyers at the time, back a few years ago, wouldn't buy these notes right at closing or quickly after closing. You had to season them a little bit for six months before you could get a higher price for it. So what I did was I sold a house on owner financing. I took a down payment and I had a note for about 75,000, I believe. And so now when you sell a house on owner financing, what's going to happen is say Adam wants to buy this house. I put it up for owner financing. He gives me a down payment. I sell it. He gets the deed of the property and we create a promissory note and deed to trust with him. So essentially a promissory note is the IOU. It's going to structure the agreement that I have with him. So it's going to outline, he's going to say, he's going to pay me X amount, which I believe we structured it on a 10 and a quarter percent loan. And it's going to structure the terms of that loan. Now he, I'm also going to get what's called a deed of trust, which is basically the muscle behind the process. It's a security instrument in case he doesn't honor the agreement of the promissory note that we have. I can use that to get my property back and foreclose on him and take the deed. Now rarely does this happen because most of the time if they're not making the payments, they're gonna sign the property back over to you um, through what's called like a deed in lieu of foreclosure, um, which could be for another call. But essentially I created a promissory note. So now I have a piece of paper that says I'm owed $75,000. Now I take this piece of paperwork out to the marketplace and I still have that underlying loan of an individual of over $50,000 which I bought the house with and Um, I use the money to carry the property and to, to fix the house up with. So how do I get my profit and how do I get their money and pay them back? So I'm going to sell that note. So I create a note and I sell the note. And in order to sell that note, a note investor is not going to pay you face value for that property. So what I had to do was I had to discount that note. So I discounted the note to give them a better yield. And basically I sold the debt on the property and I sold, sold that note and that's how we got out of this deal and made almost $30,000 when wholesalers couldn't make money on this house, flippers couldn't make money on this house. I couldn't get a loan to finance out and keep it as rental if I wanted. And so I used a unique strategy, owner financing and selling that loan because that's kind of the type of property that some of these uh, note, note buyers will take a risk on, right? And so that's, that's kind of how that deal played out.
1: That is really, really good. So let's go over some details that I may have missed. So purchase price was around thirty-three K. Right. You put in around 17K. So that's about 50 grand. Right. And then when you sold it on owner finance at a two point two five percent loan percentage.
0: No, no. so we sold it about ten and a quarter percent, I believe, on this one. So I'm trying to remember numbers. So I think, I think we bought it for 33 and put about 17 in it. So that puts us at like 52. And I think we sold that one at 85K and took 10 grand down. So guys, when we take 10 grand down, that 10 grand goes in my pocket right away. So now we're into the property with some carrying costs, uh, you know, in the low 50s, right? And I have 10 grand in my pocket. So, but I have a $75,000 note, right? But I have to pay off. I think it was like 53, 54, something in there, low 50s. So now I have a piece of paper that says I'm owed 75 grand on a 10 and quarter percent loan over the next, um, 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, depending on how we structure them. I can't quite remember what we did on that one. Um, and so, yeah, so now I have an IOU for 75 grand. I've got 10 grand in my pocket and I've got this underlying balance to pay back to my lender, which was my partner. Right. And so what I did was I discounted that 75,000, I think it was like 68 grand I think I put I put this video out there so guys you could probably go see the real numbers on there because um, this was a few years ago we just talked about this for podcast as a good case study because it is yeah it's a good way to get out of this and so I think so if you do like 68 um, minus 53 what is that 17 53 15 plus yeah. the 10 down so that's about 25 yeah so that's pretty close to what we did um, which that's is pretty close to the numbers so yeah so I sold that debt on it for, for almost 70 grand, paid off my underlying debts and liabilities to, to do that project, added the difference between the 68 and 53 or 54, or whatever, 52, whatever it was. And then the total came to about like 26, 27, 28 grand, something in there. And so that's a pretty typical deal of what we did. I just did another one like that. Um, I bought it for eight grand, I put like 20 grand in it. So when I'm doing this on these properties, I'm, I'm doing it on these little frame houses, these little three bedroom, one bath houses that a lot of people, just couldn't do anything with. They're not financeable. And they're at a price point where they're a little bit too high for people to leave their cash in and self finance. Cause most people don't just have 50 grand of 50 grand around to leave in a house and let it slowly pay back over time. And if they did, they're not running an efficient business cause they're not leveraging that capital to deals instead of one. But that's a way that um, you can structure a deal. And it's just a way of creative thinking that if you get stuck, because I remember our highest cash offer, after I tried to wholesale the house, after other investors tried to wholesale the house, um, yeah, we were looking at a loss. So yeah.
1: Tons of great information. So let's get into the final five, but right after these quick messages. As a fix and flipper, you need to save money wherever you can to make sure you stay under budget. Well, something I haven't mentioned enough is that I have a company that can fund your fix and flips for a lot less than your current hard money lender. Find out more by looking in today's show notes. All right. So today we're actually going to do the final four because you shared a couple really good creative deals that you did. Uh, so we've, we went into depth on a couple. And so today we'll do the final four with the first question being, what's a book that you recommend
0: to the audience? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm reading a book called Unstoppable Confidence on NLP. It's a really good book. Just kind of uh, gearing your thought process the right way to be successful at business. So it's important to understand, guys, a lot of people come to us and they, they watch our videos and they listen to Adam and they w- go out there in the marketplace and they study on lead generation, raising private money, um, structuring deals, finding buyers, finding sellers. And, and, and that's great. And yes, your income does come from this side of the business, but there's two sides of the business. You have to create the functionality of the business, generating leads, operating the business, but you also have to, on this side of the business, create systems, organization, mindset, self development. You have to be able to handle, for example, creative thinking is a process of which how we solve this deal. So, you know, it doesn't matter how many buyers I could find, none of them could buy it if all I was doing was trying to wholesale it to a cash buyer that was a flipper or a landlord. So I had to create skill sets. Um, also, you have to have the ability to handle stress and, and, and pressure in these situations and not shut down because people get in cotton spots in this business because it's easy to watch on TV, guys. But once you strike that, that uh, line at closing and you sign your name on it, all of a sudden the weight of the world comes down cause you just signed for X amount of money. If you're doing big deals and those carrying costs are cranking up. Now all of a sudden you realize it's a lot different than it is on TV and you have that pressure and anxiety of that ticking time bomb with carrying costs kicking in, having to get that house sold. And so if you can't handle that pressure or you can't handle the swings um, with marketing, some of y'all are having variances in marketing and cause there's no, it's, it's not just, you spend $50,000 in marketing. And if you're getting a deal every five, Thousand dollars that you may get a deal every five thousand so dollars. You're going to have variances where you may spend or put out ten thousand dollars worth of mailers and not get a deal, but you may put out five hundred mailers and get two deals. And so that's the lack of consistency and linear um, projected numbers that stresses people out that come from corporate world. They're used to going to work, trading their time, getting a check, and then going to work again, trading their time, getting a check. And there is no path like that in real estate. It's a wave like this. You may have peaks and troughs, and, and if you're not mentally strong enough to handle this, or mentally strong enough to handle when a contractor steals from you or a partner steals from you. This is what breaks a lot of investors. So you got two different sides of the business working on your self development, your positive thinking and and how to solve problems and then actually running the business. And so that's a good book that I think a lot of people could read and kind of help point their psychology in the right direction for being a a business owner.
1: That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. So Connor, where were you five years ago and where will you be in five years from today?
0: Right. Five years ago, I was struggling as a real estate investor, just like everybody else was trying to get out of debt. Um, you know, and fortunately I was, uh, it came with a lot of hard work and a lot of ups and downs like I was talking about. But yeah, guys, it takes most people that I know about three to seven years to really kind of conquer this business. Some can do it in a year or two if they catch some lucky breaks or they come in with some advantages, starting out with some money and being financeable, being able to get credit lines. But people who are starting out from literally nothing like I was because um, I had a very good career before I was a high net income, low net worth individual, meaning I lived for immediate gratification and I spent that money as fast as it came in, which is what most people do. They don't have that self-discipline or business maturity to kind of set money away and they're working for active income. So when that, in- when that income disappears, they don't have anything to live off of because they assume that it's going to last forever. So I basically hit rock bottom I had to start over. I ended up 65 grand debt And the first 18 months. of My business was very, very stressful. And I just had to get up every day and convince myself that I'm on the right path and I didn't ruin my life. Right. And, uh, I just kept going, but yeah. So that's what happened. I worked my way out. I started wholesaling houses, went into flipping houses. Then I started buying rentals, realized I didn't like tenants and termites and houses flooding and slab leaks and things like that. So I figured out how to do owner financing, create the same cash flow, have a better leverage position and, and not have to deal with all those headaches. Um, and just kind of progress my way up and guys, you don't need to learn all these strategies at once get good at one, understand it, and then add one. If you try to learn them all at once, it's going to overwhelm you.
1: I and love so, what you said when you said, you know, you wanted passive income, but you didn't want to deal with right. um, tenants, termites. So instead of saying, okay, well, I just can't have passive income. You said, how can I get the passive income? And you decided to do an owner finance note and let them take care of everything. It's it's awesome.
0: Right, right. And so, yeah. So guys, there's multiple ways. So you got to understand the lesson I learned at that point in my life, when I hit rock bottom, was I promised myself I'd do two things. I said that for the rest of my life, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to work for multiple streams of income. I'm going to work for residual income. Problem is, when I got in real estate, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, like a lot of us do, and I knew I wanted to have rental properties. I didn't even understand owner financing at the time, but I wasn't financeable. and I didn't have a way to keep rental properties. I didn't have a way to raise money, and I couldn't hop into flipping houses, which was the next thing I wanted to do, because I didn't have any track records. No private money lenders would lend to me. And I didn't have enough money to leave into a hard money deal. So I didn't have the points up front. I didn't have the temporary down payment. I didn't have the ability to get into that deal. So I had to start wholesaling houses. And so that's a good bridge for people to jump up. So I jumped up the ladder and then I kind of got to where I was now. And then um, people found out my story and I started getting asked to come speak at REI clubs and speak at events and expos. And then that's when I realized that I could kind of help people replicate and duplicate what I've done. And that's when I started Investor Army, which is how you found me now. And so we have the YouTube channel and the podcast that you've been on as well. And um, so basically I put out a couple of videos a week sharing ideas of how to not make stupid mistakes like I did and lose hundreds of thousands of dollars and make mistake after mistake and just trying to keep people from going down the path I did. And so I promised myself at one point when I was stuck, I just said, you know, if I ever get out of this situation and I'm able to pull this off, I'm going to help people do the same thing. And so right now what I've done is I've created the channel and actually where we're going to be going is I'm going to be, I don't know if anybody else is doing this, but I'm going to be the first channel out there that's not selling anything to anybody. We're not going to sell the home study programs anymore. We're not going to sell the mentoring, which I actually just put on our last video. So guys like the last program we're going to sell um, is going to be on, on July 4th. We're going to put out our flipping programs with like normally $500. We're going to drop it down to hundred dollars. And once we sell, or once we hit 10,000 subscribers on the channel, I'm gonna pull down everything that's monetized, and going forward, we're gonna be a channel uh, that's just giving out everything for free. Because um, I have a kind of a because when I got into business, I went through one of those ripoff companies, that that's part of the reason why I went down into that situation where I got super deep in debt. And I just think that anybody who's willing to work 60, 80, 100 hours a week should be able to have the same right to build a business. So that's kind of where we're going with Investor Army. Um, you know, I'm building realtor teams all across the country. I have a team now, I think we're in 14 States. Um, so if you guys want to reach out and partner with me, you can contact me. If you're a real estate agent and you can join our team. Um, but yeah, I'm basically shutting down our consulting program. I'm shutting down the courses here soon. And uh, that's kind of what we see going on on the horizon.
1: Okay. Uh, Cool stuff. So that's your five years from now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd like to just, um, build that up. And just help as many people as I can, you know, like I don't need to work anymore. I, you know, realized how much struggle I went through and how much pain I was in at that point. And I just was like, you know what, I don't want to wake up at 80 and look back and regret my life. And, you know, I can always buy houses. I can always stack my income. I can always make more money. But I was like, why not help as many people do what I can? Because the real estate changed my life. It's changed a lot of my friends' lives. And I was like, you know, I don't want to measure my success anymore by how many dollars in my bank account. But I was like, let's just measure my success by how many people email me saying that they watched something on my channel that changed their life or helped save them $30,000, which if they learn how to do what I just taught, making 3, 000, losing $3,000 trying to wholesale the house to cash buyer versus flipping the note and selling the note. So I've had people contact, you know, you know, with tears, sending us letters or teardrops on them. So that's why I'm doing this now. And that's kind of why I'll continue to do it. Um, but yeah, that, that's where I want to go with it.
1: Great stuff. How do you give back? I know you already pretty much answered that in a lot of ways, but I'll let you um, answer it again. How do you give back?
0: Right. So like I've also thought about uh, potentially creating a nonprofit or a charity through Investor Army. Um, and it wouldn't be like if we do this, you know, it's not going to be like one of those ones where we raise X amount of money and 10% goes to the charity and 90% goes to pockets, which is just like another thing that drives me nuts that these companies do. It's just like unbelievable that – that people do that. Um, if we did it, the, just, we would cover the cost to do it and then <clears throat> we would give the rest of the money out. So like now that I've kind of financially s- s- put myself in a good situation, I'm thinking about more of how, what I can do to help. Um, because I do have a voice and it's growing. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing over the next two, three, four, five years. Cause if I can build a channel of a hundred thousand, 200,000 people, which I think I can do, I can help a lot of people. And, uh, that's kind of what I'm focused on right now.
1: Great. Thank you. And how do people get a hold of you, find your YouTube channel and your podcast?
0: All right, guys. Uh, so we have uh, two different YouTube channels. We have investor army podcast, um, where I interview people like Adam and top CEOs around the country. Um, I'm trying to get one out a week right now. I've been pretty busy traveling around launching these realtor teams for different people around the country. Um, which is why I've not been putting miles frequently. And then the other channel, which is where I'm filming, just training lessons or, or, videos I think can help you with your business is on Investor Army. That's our main channel. And also we are, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the main avenues that you can find us. Um, we're going to try to ramp up things on Instagram and um, LinkedIn, some of these other platforms, but really we're focused on Facebook, YouTube and the podcast right now is kind of where we're really focused with Investor Army, but you can reach out there. You can email us at com. You can actually contact me. Yes, I'm crazy enough to get out my own line. It's 469-855-6963. So if you want to reach out to me, um, but like I said, guys, I'm no longer doing the mentoring program. A lot of people keep contacting me. They didn't believe me when I shut it down. <laughs> so like, um, but yeah, if you're a real estate agent, that's about the only way you can work with me right now.
1: Okay, guys, we covered a, a deal that nobody else could have made money on and Connor found a way to do it anyway. We covered, um, you know, this book that he read, Unstoppable Confidence, uh, about NLP, that it kind of as a mind mindset change and shift, and has really helped him. I liked hearing where you he were five years ago, I, and you know, struggling like any other investor. I liked the honesty that you shared, like how at eighteen months you were you were in debt, huge, and just like trying to decide if you were wanting to still go through and do this, and you found a way to kind of put your head down and and get there today you're financially free, just wanting to give back. And that's where you'll be for the next five years. Everything that we covered today was, was huge. I hope for the audience. I hope that they got a lot out of it. I think they did. And I really appreciate you. And until next time, Connor, think outside the box.
0: All right, man. I appreciate it. Grateful to come on here. And guys, let me know if I can help.
1: Perfect. If you love this content, please leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. As a reminder, any investment opportunities mentioned on this show are for accredited investors only. I'm ready to have that conversation with you. It's pretty easy to set up. There's a link to my online calendar available for you in the show notes. Scroll down now and pick a time on there that works best for both of us. Until next time, think outside the box. When there's something strange in the neighborhood, like a one to four unit that needs some major rehab and you need funding, who are you going to call? Blue Spruce Capital.